word on that. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Uh, I will remind you as we're doing that, both of us, uh, I'm going to get my iPad open here with my notes, which would be helpful. We put all of our messages, uh, we have uh, podcasts on iTunes, on our website. We also put, uh, we're broadcasting right now on Facebook Live. We also put all of our sermons up on YouTube, on our channel. And so we encourage you to be able to uh, stay with us in the series that we're in as we're going along. If you want to go back, catch up, you're away on a Sunday, uh, you're not feeling too good, you can stay at home if you're not feeling too good, and you could watch online live or you could check out the videos later. And the primary reason why I mention that is not self-promotion, trust me, believe me on that, it's because we're a church family and we believe in going through books of the Bible and growing through the teachings of God's Word. And so we encourage those who are part of our ministry, part of our local family here to be with us and going through this uh, amazing gospel and the Word of God together. I'm going to be reading in just a second from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Uh, We're continuing in this this morning. Last week did kind of part one of this message. And I mentioned last week that this particular uh, chapter, chapter 12, all the way to verse 34, 25 years ago in my business life, had a dramatic effect on my heart and my life. Changed the course of my life. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, So particularly though, this particular parable, the second part of this message we're looking at today, is what really rocked me. It was like an arrow through my heart, and I know a few of you who heard last week's message were feeling feeling that, and and I'm hoping today you'll feel a little bit more, uh, because it's God's Word. It's not me, it's God's Word. So read with me, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 12, I'll read the passage, pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, holy, holy, holy Father. Thank you for this word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Luke to... to, Go to the eyewitness, to go to those who were there on this day and ask for a recollection of this story. The words that Jesus said, thank you for this being recorded, that we get to read about this today. The only time in any of the Gospels that this particular parable of Jesus is recorded. So we thank you. We thank you for how unique it is and how proper it is. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak through me to the people here today those watching. Take the, 
very humble and basic words that I have, Lord, and, and I just pray that you, you would use them mightily to speak to our hearts, encourage us at the same time, and I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Sermon title for today is not what you would see in your Bibles. It's called the parable of the rich fool, right? Okay, now this is, this is for you today. Less is enough, part two. Last week was less enough, part one. Hope to show you three things from the parable itself. Man's problem, number one. Number two, man's reasoning or solution. And number three, God's reality. So last Sunday, we looked at part one of less of is enough, and we looked at basically three points. There's the demand, right? The demand that this someone, this man makes to Jesus. There's the response from Jesus, and then there's the principle that Jesus gave. So right of the blue, what we saw last week is there's this guy there that we don't know what his name is. We don't know who he is. He's just kind of representative of any man or woman for that matter. And he's listening all the time that Jesus is preaching this amazing sermon, right? And he's hearing everything that Jesus is preaching about to his disciples very lovingly about hypocrisy, right? About fear of man, about heaven and hell, all, all these good things. And he's hearing all this. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's like, yeah, Jesus, that's great. Especially that hell part, that was really helpful. But listen, listen, I got something in my mind here. Would you please tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance now? The demand, very demanding. And then the principle that Jesus gave to him related to that, and he gives to us as well, whenever we are demanding or expecting from God things that, well, are selfish in motivation, Jesus says this and said this to him and to us. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so it was a warning from Jesus to be on guard, be careful about, protect yourself against greed. Covetousness is another word for that, would be greed. And we learned last week that the actual Greek word that's used there is very, very interesting. It's the opposite of a word that we all know because of a uh, disorder, a disease that uh, some people suffer called anorexia, remember? Anorexia literally means less than enough. And so in the case of anorexia nervosa, it's less than enough body weight. I mean, you could die of malnutrition if you don't have enough body weight. The opposite Greek word, it's a Greek lesson for you today. Everybody like this? We had it last week. Pleonaxia is the word that's used here, and it means a desire for more than enough. And so it's not just about coveting, wanting something that belongs to somebody else that we get from the 10th commandment. It's about actually not being content with enough. It's a constant desire for wanting more, more and more than we currently have. And so Jesus laid it out very succinctly in the principle, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And as I said last week, come on, that's the complete opposite of our world, isn't it? You guys, many of you know, and I keep talking about it because it's my experience. My, my past business life was in the field of marketing. And the whole point there is to get people dissatisfied with what they currently have because it's not serving you in good enough anymore and buy more. Like, this will make you happy. Just add this to your life. It's really the principle that's at work there, right? Uh, the, the idea, I think, in our culture is the good life, the really, really good life that you could live here in Squamish or anywhere in the world for that matter, is stuff. More and more experiences, more and more possessions, more and more things, bigger, better. Hello? Hello? 
I just want to make sure, again, that's what it's all about, right? And so we're going to see next week, Jesus, uh, he's going to really is, and the truth is, he's really going to nail it next week. Um, and that is that he's going, to, he's going to make it very clear to us when he talks about anxiety that this chasing after more, after more money, wealth, possessions, will only lead to more of stress, anxiety, sleepless nights, depression, and potentially death. When you think about in your past or in recent history, how many lives of very wealthy, successful, famous rich, are you aware of, can you think of, who have taken their own life? Recent history would tell us that there's a few. I've seen many in my lifetime, actually, many. Whether it's Wall Street because of an economic crash, people jumping out of buildings because they lost it all. But most recently, of course, some very famous people, there's Anthony Bourdain, the chef and world traveler, Kate Spade, and of course, one of my favorite comics, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. By all accounts, they had it all, guys. They had it all. Many people watch them and go, man, I wish I had their life. I wish I could travel like that, eat that kind of food, have that kind of car, be that famous. They had it all. They had it all. The idol for most of them was, and I say that very carefully but intentionally, whether money, success, fame, large houses, many, many exotic and luxurious possessions, travel, you name it, did what every false god idol does. Eventually, it'll let you down. It'll fail you. It'll fail me. It fails us. And when that happens, if that is your everything, it's tragic, really. And the reason is, Because God is the only one who can give you that kind of identity and value. Amen? He's the only one who can fulfill that more need in us. I love the the saying that uh, the Canadian actor, comedian, funny face guy, Jim Carrey, said one time. He's kind of gone kind of hermity like he's, he's kind of bizarre, but he said this. He said, I wish everybody could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. So first, let's look at this man's problem. This man's problem, um, and it's about what Jesus is going to talk about in this parable. It's really about the man, isn't it? Although he's going to tell a parable about another man, but it's really about the man that he's responding to, isn't it? What really means it's also to every man and woman here, right? This is a parable of truth coming from Jesus related to this demand by this guy and related to the concern that he has over greed and covetousness. So number one, the man's problem. Let me put verses 16 and 17 on screen for you. He, Jesus, told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So setting the stage, Jesus begins this amazing parable by highlighting the main character, right? The main character, again, is the, the, the man in the story, in the parable, but it's also the man who we don't know whose name is, right? He's highlight who could be any man or woman, as I've alluded to, who is to be an example to those that Jesus is teaching to then and to us today of all that we should take care and be on guard against. 
That's what it's all about. That's what this example and this parable is. Parables are, are simple little stories that usually have one big idea. And Jesus was the master of telling these stories. And so what do we learn from him? Well, the first thing we learn is, is that this guy is pretty successful. Right? He's had like a bumper crop. This is huge. You know, as I'm in my business life and I had retail stores, this would be like an amazing boxing day, right? Like sold out of everything, lots of money in the bank, super, super successful. In, in fact, it, it would look like he's made a significant profit, uh, so much so that he's got a real problem, at least in his mind or in the story, he's got a legitimate problem. He, he has the problem being nowhere to store his excess. That's a pretty big problem, right? Like you've got all this extra cash, these extra goods, and it's like, well, what am I going to do with them? That's a problem. Well, there are also some hints in this text to a much deeper problem within this man's heart and his soul, right? There are a few deeper problems here. He has three of them I want to suggest to you. The first is he thought to himself, right? You see that in the text? The venerable King James Version, great translation of the Bible, says that he thought within himself. You know, it's the whole positive mental attitude idea. The power is inside. Look inside. Look to yourself. This guy is prototypical, right? He's just thinking within himself. That's his first problem. So the first place or person he goes to when he has this problem related to money, possessions, or his abundance is himself. And then look at the second problem. He's like, well, he's rationalizing. He's like, well, what shall I do? He's trying to reason to himself, what shall I do? What shall I do with this problem? His heart tells him that the only person he can trust in these matters, it would appear, is good old me, right? Is myself. And finally, this is the most devastating, I would suggest. He says, look, he looks at these words. He says, I have and my crops. And so we, we, we can see in this guy, we can see in the, this person who's being used as an illustration that he, it's all about me. It's all about him. He actually believes that this excess of, of, of um, plentiness and, and success is because of his own efforts, his own hands, and it's all his. Serious problem. I'm not sure he sees it. Now, it's a fictitious story, I would suggest. But again, there's this guy who wants the inheritance who's listening. And then there's you and me listening to this story. And so he sees both the place where he will eventually put this abundance and the crops themselves as his and the result of his effort, certainly not God's. There's no mention of God here, is there, at all? So now we learn about his plan, which is point number two. So number one was pretty quick. You're probably thinking we're going to get out of here soon this morning. Relax, maybe not. Point number two is man's reasoning. We're going to see how this man, but I didn't say the man's reasoning. This is man's reasoning. Mankind, humankind, men and women. Verses 18 and 19 says this. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Oh, boy. So I, I, I thought about this this week, and it's, uh, again, I've mentioned to many of you, I've, 
I, this was the sermon that I first preached ever 25 years ago that rocked my heart and so forth. So I've been over this a few times, and I prayed this little week, Lord, get, give me something fresh, like is there something here, Holy Spirit, that I haven't seen before? And, and lo and behold, he, he said this to me, and it might be obvious, but maybe we don't see this, but especially after what we've already learned, but this man is, what is he doing? He's talking to himself. Now, again, I know it's a story, but Jesus is telling stories because they're reality. They're real about us. So here's a guy who's he's actually talking to himself. He, Jesus is telling the story, a parable of a man who talks to himself. So think about this for a minute. Think about it for a minute. How much during the day do you think in your head or out loud you're talking to yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Janice always makes a, she laughs at me because she can see me from the kitchen on Saturday. I'll be outside in the hot tub and she'll see me talking to the air because I'm practicing the sermon, right? And like, I'm preaching it, right? And I'm just like, and she'll, she'll be going, hey, there's something wrong with my, so it's true. Okay, but I, I do that in the car sometimes. I actually talk out loud. Anybody else do that? Am I the only insane person in this room, right? But here's the thing. You, you talk, now, I did some research on this. You're not going to believe this, but this sermon, by the way, today is 3,000 words. Okay, there's going to be a few more because I'm ad-libbing at times, right? And the Holy Spirit's, yes, Rudy, he's here. He's talking these things out, right? But it'll be maybe 4,000 words. Do you under, psychologists and researchers have come to this understanding. You talk within your head 4,000 words a minute on average, now think about that, because here's what's happening right now. I'm talking, you're supposed to be listening, <laughs> but here's what's happening. Some of you are thinking about later when you're going to go hiking, or we're going to do this, or how long is this guy going to be, right? And, and you're also questioning things, aren't you? Trust me, I know you are. I know you are, right? We're thinking things constantly. In our, so human reasoning is evaluating within ourselves, goes on every waking moment of our day, and listen. Me too. It's not always a good thing what goes over and on in our heads, is it? No, it's not. In fact, by comparison, even if you count this message of over 40 minutes, the amount of time you and I actually give to listening to others is minuscule in comparison to the time we give listening to ourselves and our own heads. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Now, let me also suggest this. How much time do you give every day to listening to God from His Word? That really convicted me this week, guys. I'm your pastor. <laughs> I get up every morning, and yes, I do sit down to devotions and open my Bible, and then all of a sudden my hand goes from my iPhone. <laughs> it's, I'm confessing publicly to you, okay? Because in my head there's these thoughts. Wait a second. This man is talking to himself in this story, using human reasoning, and here's what he gets out of this. The result of listening to himself and talking to himself is this. He, he, he identifies his big problem, and, and he's asked himself what he should do with the problem, and then look, he's got his solution almost immediately. Almost like within milliseconds, according to the story, but I think probably in reality often, he has his solution. This is not a good sign. I don't think it's a good sign. His reasoning, I'm a pretty smart guy. I know what I'll do. I'll do this. Now again, I'm going to ask you this. 
How much is that like you? And like yourself. <laughs> um, this used to frustrate the daylights out of Janus, but, and even some of my friends, I think, thought back in my business years, I'm much more mature now. But back in those days, it was like, yeah, I know what to do. I know what to do. You know, like, it, I'm sure to some of my friends, I probably sounded like a bit of a know-it-all. Like, I'd listen to their problem or whatever it might be. Oh, I'll tell you what you should do. I always seem to have a solution for things, right? I was like the solution guy. Come to me, right? At least in my own mind, I thought that. I was very guilty of that. Very guilty of that. And like I say, Jenna sometimes thought I was a little bit proud in the way I was so quick to have figured things out. So I thought within myself, after all, actually, my, my thinking at the time was, come on, like, I, I know about this subject. I've worked in this area. I have studied this. I've read at least Wikipedia on this. I know what I'm talking about. I thought within myself, and I oftentimes said, I know what I'll do. I'll do this. Full disclosure, failed a lot of the times. It was the wrong idea. Should have listened to my wife. In these previous three verses, look at the repetitive use of personal pronouns. And the word, I, want, I want to put these back on screen for you in slightly a different order. Just, just focus with me on the I, me, mine, and the word will in this text. And look, please remember this. Jesus is telling the story off the top of his head. Right? He doesn't have notes like I do. He's just telling the story. And look what he says. He says, he told them a peril saying, the land of a rich man... And look at the words that are underlined. So in the beginning, it's like, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere my crops. It goes on to say, I will, I will, my barns, I will, my grain, my goods, I will, my soul. So I think it's pretty obvious now that this man, who is representative, remember, potentially of every man and woman. This man is rich towards himself, isn't he? He's really rich toward himself. He sees all that he has from his own hands and efforts, his own hard work, his reward after all, and at the same time he gives, listen, zero thought to God or, and this is key, anyone else. He doesn't give thought in a, in a millisecond for the poor, for people who are struggling, for people who are not well off, for fellow farmers who had a drought or lost their, their, their produce that year because of whatever, because of bugs and pestilence and whatever it might have been. He doesn't think for a second, do you see, about them? He doesn't think about Union Gospel Mission in Vancouver or Helping Hands here in Squamish, does he? No. His first thought... His first thought is for himself. So let me bring this home for us a little bit here this morning, on this point at least. Some of you might say, well, sure, look, come on, yeah, obviously. This guy is clearly rich and greedy and well. He deserves what he's going to get for being so selfish. So he deserves it we're going to think. I mean, actually what Jesus will tell him, his problem is this. It's not that you're rich. That is your problem. I have blessed you. I'm God. No, your problem is, is that you're not rich towards me, towards God, 
towards others who are not as rich as you. Now, some of you also might be thinking, well, come on, this is a 2,000-year-old story. It's but an agrarian society, you know, like it's like, you know, farmers and barns and all the rest of that. And like, what could that possibly have to do with me today? It's 2019, Glenn, preacher. I mean, what could it have to do? Well, listen, first of all, let me make a, a carte blanche statement. We're all very rich. Some of you are this morning going, hey, just a second. <laughs> you know, I barely make the rent. You know, like on and on. I, I understand. But listen, remember the crowd that Jesus is talking to? The disciples, fishermen, tax collector who just got fired, <laughs> walked away from the tax booth to follow Jesus? They're following him for like three years. They're, they don't really have jobs. Relatively speaking, compared to the people that Jesus was speaking to in that day, we are incredibly rich. I, I'll venture to say that most of you in this room today, most who are watching online, uh, have a place to live. You've got a roof over your head. You, you, you may be struggling to pay the rent or pay the mortgage, but you have it, right? You, you have furniture. You have TVs, probably plural. You have furniture, in your home, right? You probably have appliances, a car, a smartphone. You probably enjoy craft beer or Merlot from time to time, even eating out from time to time. Travel, because you got the kids and you got to take them to the grandparents, right? Friends, we, we have to get our minds around this. In our world and culture today, we are rich. Amen? Just a little bit, a little, okay, good. <laughs> a little bit of a response there. Secondly, some of us are so rich, now please, some of us are so rich, we really don't understand how much so and how much more so compared to almost all of Jesus' disciples and compared to about 80% of the world. Now, some of you are going, oh, come on, really? Like, this is, this is getting kind of negative. Mm -hmm. I have something to show you here. Ever seen one of these? Yeah. I was driving along Highway 1 out in Coquitlam like a couple of weeks ago uh, for Father's Day to go see Jan's father, and I see this new building. Look at that building. Is that gorgeous or what? Like millions of dollars went to build that. It's storage lockers. And I I'm not kidding. This is off their website. See the happy couple down below? It's like they just bought a house. We just got a locker. We're so, we're so lucky. Yeah. Okay, just a second. Let me bring this home. Do any of you have two-car garages and one of the garages has the car parked outside? <laughs> what about crawl spaces, closets, basements? Okay, look. I'm putting this together this week. I'm going through the garage and I said to Jan, okay, next week, based on this sermon, we got to give some stuff away. Okay, like we do. But we're, like, we're rich. That's the point of why I want to show that to you. So as a helpful exercise from today, let me maybe suggest this today. Why don't you do what I'm convicted of? Why don't you maybe go home this week and just go into your garage, your crawl space, your storage locker, repent, and, and just have a look at whatever's in there and just find something that you haven't touched in 12 to 18 months. And here's my suggestion to you. Give it away to someone who's not struggling with covetousness, by the way. Give it away to that person or sell it on Craigslist. You know how to use that, don't you? Sell it and, and listen, take the cash right away and give it away. Be rich towards God with it. There you go. Just thought I'd mention that for you. Just wanted to be helpful. 
So listen, this man's reasoning, his solution to his problem is to build a bigger barn, to keep it all for himself. And then look in verse 19 where it says this. We see the only place in the Bible, listen, you see the only place in the Bible that speaks about or refers at all to retirement, right? And not in a positive way, by the way, if you look at this. It's the only place, right? The only place in the Bible where it speaks of it. And, and yes, the Bible does talk about aging and slowing down a bit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Uh, not yet, but I'm getting there. Trust me, right? But not for, listen, self-indulgent times. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that. Nowhere. He says, this man says, I will say to my soul, singular word there. This is tragic. Uh, He's gone from talking to himself to thinking that he is actually sovereign over his soul. That's tragic. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This is this guy's investment portfolio, isn't it? It's like RRSPs for this guy. He's just loading it up, packing it up, and he's thinking, you know, you know, I could just imagine him. He's looking at this, and, he, and, he's, and he's looking at all good this is, and he's going, I think next year will be just as good. I'm just going to keep building this retirement thing. And then at some point, I just feel like he's just going to yell out, Freedom 55. Anybody remember that? Everybody? 1984. There's a commercial. It was an idea birthed by London Life in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, where I lived. I was a young marketing guy at the time. I remember seeing that commercial and going, brilliant, devious. I want to show it to you and then make a comment on it. It's really bad, fuzzy, old 25-year-old video off of YouTube, and even the audio might be hard to hear, but just have a look and then we'll discuss this. Imagine visiting yourself in the future. Still in the rubber? Hey, you're me. At 55. You, we, we look pretty good. Oh, retirement agrees with me. Retirement? How can we afford that? Freedom 55. London Freedom Life's 55. Freedom 55. Protection today, plus a financial plan that works, so one day you won't have to. Freedom 55, only from your London Life representative. So, uh, when did we start jogging? Right after the twins arrived. Twins? Oh. <laughs> Funny, right? Pretty cute. I'll see, like I, 25 years ago, I remember seeing that commercial and thinking to myself, as a guy who's in that field, thinking how brilliant it was on one level, but also as a Christian, how devious that is. Do you see the underlying messages in there? Now, I'm from Toronto, so that was filmed in Toronto. There's a guy, what is he? He's got a trench coat on, he's got a briefcase, and he's running through what? Snow. And he's running to catch what? The bus. To go where? Work. Drudgery. Not really presented as a really awesome thing to do, is it? No, no. And then the next thing we know, he's transported to this other place. Where could that be, do you think? I've always said this about marketers. They've read the Bible. (laughs) They have because it's not, is it not? Eden? Right? The guy's running along, and it's Freedom 55, and he's having just a beautiful time, and it's, it's wonderful there, and it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's life, you know, and it's... But it's about that, isn't it? Listen, that, that commercial, that idea spawned 
the whole retirement culture that we have in North America today, it really amped it up to the point where it's today, what, what's the idea when you, you get to the point of, you know, well, let's, put, let's be honest, like, is, can you retire at 55 anymore today? No, maybe 65. Is it Freedom 65 or is it Freedom 75? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, where is it at, right? But, but still, it's the dream for a lot of people. And then what do you do? Well, you got to get a condo and you got to, you know, you got to go to Florida and push those things along, the, whatever, you know, retirement. We were not designed for that, but that's what's presented to us. And so that is also what is considered to be in our world and culture today, wise and smart. Now, please hear me. Whenever you hear me say that, it means please hear that I'm not saying something that you might be thinking I'm saying. Neither I or Jesus are saying it is unwise to put a little away. It's not that. It's about storing it all up for later so that you can have your heaven on earth. Right? And, and I think we need to realize that there's also some problems there, aren't there? We maybe we'll get into that. Let me look at number three as we come to our conclusion today, which is this. We've seen man's problem. We've seen man's reasoning or man's solution. Number three, God's remedy. But God said to him, fool, for this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That word fool is extremely extremely strong language coming from the lips of God in the flesh. David the psalmist wrote, and you all know this or should, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This man is acting like there's no God, right? I mean, his God is money and possessions and his future, heaven on earth. This is the view of the materialist, the naturalist, this man who has no regard whatsoever for the actual source of his, wealth, of his wealth. So this man has great plans. By his own reasoning, he would just get richer and richer, and one day when he's old, he'll just kick back and he'll really live, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. That'll be awesome. It's foolish. It's foolish thinking. And it's not just me saying that. It's what Jesus is saying. Jesus next week is going to come to the conclusion of this portion of his sermon, and he's going to ask this question. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life or a single cubit to your stature, another inch to your height? Trust me, I've given up on that one many, many years ago. Okay? <laughs> really? Okay? Just, okay. Not worrying about that? You don't know. You have no idea. I have no idea. But your days are marked out. You do know that, right? He knows exactly the day that your heart will stop beating. My heart will stop beating. But you don't know. I don't know. We have no idea when our souls will be required of us. It's foolish, is what Jesus is saying. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words in chapter 4. It's not just about retirement and end of life, right? James says this, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And yet, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Goes on and says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Solomon, the the wise man that he was, wrote in Proverbs 19, Many are the plans in the mind of a man or woman, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Remember that he also wrote Ecclesiastes, right? And he got to the point in Ecclesiastes where he was talking about all of his wealth. I mean, he was the richest man ever. Bill Gates, forget it. This guy was the richest man ever. And there's a point in Ecclesiastes where he's like, he's really upset. And he's like, really, it's really driving him crazy about all of his possessions and all of his wealth and his beautiful homes and his gardens and his money and cows and cattle and you name it. You know what he was upset about? The people he was going to leave it to. So we see three consequences for us today also if we are not rich towards God. You know how it works, right? First of all, as I've already alluded to, it's not Freedom 55 anymore. It's 65, 75. Some of us are going to need to keep working and working and making money. Why? Because we can't retire. Secondly, besides not even getting there to enjoying your full barns, right? You might get there and not be able to actually enjoy those full barns. Why? Health. It does deteriorate, you know, and there's no guarantees about that either. But finally, for this man, there was also this, as I've said and alluded with Solomon. Whose will these be? So remember this story, it started off about an inheritance, didn't it? Jesus is so amazing the way he concludes this because basically he's now flipping it and he's asking, hey, by the way, who's going to get all your stuff anyway? Ouch. I've got three wonderful boys. I'm still going to get the bumper sticker that says, sorry kids, we're spending it. (laughs) Conclusion, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I've mentioned this before, there's only one motivational speaker that I will ever recommend to anyone who comes up to me and says, hey, you know, like, I, I want to know how to get more success in my business, you know, like, you know, be more focused, and besides the Bible, besides Jesus, who, what, what should you recommend? And the only guy that I've ever uh, felt I could recommend was a man by the name of Zig Ziglar. He passed away three or four years ago, very devout uh, Christian man. Uh, the reason why I loved his motivational uh, books and speaking was because he was good, number one, but also because he was Christ-centered. And so it wasn't about becoming rich and successful for the sake of ourselves. Um, one of his favorite sayings was, uh, you, will, you can have everything that you want to have in life or need to have in life if you'll just focus on helping others get everything that they need first. So it was like, again, like Jesus, tipping it upside down, right? But I, I remember one time I went to see him actually live in Toronto, and he was talking, and he had this Texas drawl, right? And he was, he was trying to remind us all about basically this passage without quoting this passage, and he said something like this. He was like, now listen, you know, I won't try to do his Texas drawl. I'm terrible. But uh, he, he, basically, he basically said, listen, you need to understand, like, you know, whatever you make and however successful you come, you need to know that but when you die, and then with this Texas drawl, he says, you're going to leave it all. You realize that, right? You are going to leave it all. Someone else uh, once said this, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Get over it. Get over it. Let's get rid of it. So this, my friends, as I alluded to you last week, in conclusion is this. This is the antidote to covetousness, to the shackles of greed 
wanting to have more than enough, not being content with what, in fact, you have. This is the antidote. The antidote? Be rich towards God. How rich has he been to you? Christ? Life? Death? Burial? Resurrection? Forgiveness? Salvation? Eternity? Blessings? Pretty rich. Ephesians 1, read it. That'll tell you how rich you are, right? Be rich. Less is enough, really. Less is enough, as I said last week. Less of the riches of this world is enough when you realize that Jesus himself, God himself, is more of everything that you need. He's all you need, that I need. So my suggestion for you this week, and we'll get it into more next week, because Jesus is going to conclude this next week up to verse 34 with another super principle of life. My suggestion for you this week is, why don't you start one of these? It's called an ERSP, Eternal Retirement Saving Program. Why don't you send some of it ahead? Why don't you give more and more of it away? Why don't I, why don't we, church, why don't we do that and start one of those investment plans? More on that next week. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father.